hearts to hear God's Word. Uh, Join me now as we pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a great and glorious God. We thank you for the time we've already had together, praising your name, hearing the gospel, confessing our sins, uh, being reminded of our forgiveness. And God, you say in your word to, uh, to, to bring all our requests before you because you care for us. So God, we bring our supplications before you now. We pray for uh, those battling sickness in our congregation, uh, those known and those unknown, God. We pray for um, uh, Fred Hope and um, Olin Hollis, Jerry Green, Ken Tedder. God, we thank you so much how you have sustained them. We pray that you would continue to give them uh, more strength, Father. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would um, work in, in those uh, in our congregation uh, who are uh, dealing with uh, discouragement uh, or frustration, Father. And we pray that you would just meet them by your divine grace, uh, meet them with your Holy Spirit to show them your power and your strength. Father, we lift up our nation before you now. Lord, this is the time where we celebrate our independence, our freedom as a nation. God, we pray that you would just convict the hearts of your people all across this land that we would not forsake our freedom, the freedom that we have to proclaim the gospel, that we would take advantage of the freedom we have to to worship, uh, that we would take advantage of the freedom we have to to share and tell of your your great love. Uh, Even this past week, Lord, just amazed at how many people in Puerto Rico had never heard of the gospel of Christ. How many people in our neighborhoods, Lord, have never heard of the gospel. We pray, Lord, because of your sovereign grace, you have placed us in our neighborhoods, our towns, and our jobs to to be a witness of your grace. So, Father, we pray that you would would wake up your people. You would wake up your people to love you, Lord, uh, to, to, to rejoice in their forgiveness in Christ and to share that they would not be afraid of man, God, but they would live their lives in fear of God. Uh, Father, we pray for our president today. We pray, Lord, that you would give him wisdom, God. We pray that you would sustain him by your grace and by your mercy. Father, we pray that you would um, direct his steps. As your scripture says, you hold the hearts of kings in your hands. We pray, God, that you would uh, direct his heart, God, to the things of God. Father, we pray for our Supreme Court, uh, who's continuing to make decisions for our nation. We pray, God, that they would be governed by wisdom. They'd be governed by... Uh, by your sovereign wisdom. God, we pray that you would uh, orchestrate things in, in, those, in those council chambers, God, that would serve your purposes. Father, uh, we, we, we trust you, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would continue to allow your people all across this land to, to see your faithfulness, to not fear of the future, but to trust your hand. Uh, Father, we pray that, that you would strengthen churches all across our nation to preach your gospel. Father, I pray that you would um, make your people love you and your glory more than they love their earthly comfort. God, I pray that you would put our, our hope uh, in, in glory. Father, we pray now that you would just uh, protect our hearts, God, as we hear your word. And we pray that you would just uh, bind our, our church closer and closer uh, together. Father, that you'd help us understand what it means uh, to be a Christian what it means to be a member of a church, and more specifically, Lord, we pray that you would help us see what it means to be a member of Park Baptist Church. Uh, Father, I pray that you would just guard my words. Uh, Father, I pray that you would allow me to speak only that which is honoring and pleasing unto you. So, Father, lift high the name of Jesus uh, in this message. I pray that I would decrease, Lord, that the name of the, and, the, and, the, and the work of the Lord Christ 
would be exalted. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So I know what you're all thinking. Pastor has nine points this morning, and there is food waiting for us. Um, this might be the longest uh, point, most points I've ever had in a sermon, uh, but it's all good because we'll end when God wants us to end. <laughs> Amen? Uh, so when we think about uh, July, July 4th, um, celebrating our, our nation and what God has done in our nation, one of the questions that you would ask people today is, what does it mean to be an American? You know, it's a question we should ask ourselves. What does it mean to be part of this, this nation? What does it mean to be American? And I think the challenge for our nation is that no one really can agree on that answer. You know, whether we are, uh, we are the nation that values life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We are a nation that is free to live any way we want. We are a country that is to be tolerant of how anyone chooses to live their lives. We are the home of the brave, the land of the free. We are a nation that's founded on Christian principles. No, we are a secular society that values reason and science. Everybody has a different answer, depending on your age, your, your geography, where, you, where you're from, your, your, the color of your skin, your, your experience of being natively born or immigrating to our, to our nation. What connects us as Americans? Well, I think what used to connect us doesn't always connect us anymore. I think as a nation we're confused. We don't really know who we are. And I think it's challenging, especially for those of us who, who have, have grown up and seen our nation shift over a period of time. There has been so much change in our, in our, in our country. Not just technology, although that's a part of it. There's been a shift in values. There's been a shift in what it truly means to be an American. So I guess my challenge for, for you and for everyone who's celebrating independence is, what do we care more about? Do we care more about our earthly nation or our eternal one? Uh, do we care more about what God is doing in the world of, of the American people? Or do we care more about what God is doing in his, in his people in the church? I think if you ask the average American Christian, they think more about the, the, the America we live in rather than the church they're a part of. So what connects Christians? What's connect, what, what is the, the values that connect Christians? What, what is the, the values that connect Baptist, Southern Baptist? And, and more particularly, what, what is the, the values or the, the, the thing that connects the people of Park Baptist Church? Is it the style of our music? Is it our age? Our socioeconomic status? Our, our, our race? The activities we enjoy? How you answer that question is vital for the future health of our congregation. I know that many of you have been feeling the weight of change at this church. It seems as if now uh, our church feels different and looks different than it did two years ago. It feels different and maybe looked different than it did six months ago. Uh, change is happening. How do we deal with change? So if we're going to step into the, to the next part of our um, church's life, what is going to keep us? What is going to keep us solid on, on solid ground, connected uh, to each other? 
is it going to be our, our, our preference in style? Is it going to be our dress? Well, no. What's going to connect us moving forward is going to be Christ, his gospel, and his word. My, my, my prayer and what I've been trying to do in this, this idea of, of introducing a church covenant is that I want the principles in God's word to be the thing that connects us and holds us fast to one another. I don't want your primary allegiance to be to our, our style. I want your primary allegiance to be Christ, his glory, his word, and your love for the people of Park Baptist Church. That is what I want you to be to connect us. So that's the whole idea of introducing a church covenant. So that we would all know, here's our responsibilities. Here's how we are agreeing to live before one another. Last week, we looked at the, this idea of renewal. right? Renewing these, these promises again to one another on a regular basis. And I, I propose that what I, what I want to do is before we take the Lord's Supper, when we are communing with God and with each other in that special moment that we are going to recommit our lives to one another. And I propose that by, by having a church covenant. Those of you who saw this in your church bulletin, we're going to be kind of going through this today. And all the things that you see here is really what we've already read in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. When I do marriage counseling, uh, the, usually the first two verses I look at is Genesis 2. Um, uh, Genesis 2 and then Ephesians chapter 5. Look at those two passages. Then I look at Romans 12. This is what I tell them. I said, if you want to be a, a happy married couple, all you need to do is be a good Christian to one another. Your spouse is your closest neighbor, and if you are a good Christian, you're going to have a happy and blessed marriage. I would say the same thing to our church. If we want to be a healthy, happy spiritual, holy, righteous congregation, all we need to do is be, a, be good Christians to one another. We need to live our lives in the, in the marks of a, a good Christian. Uh, the story that James shared you about Frances uh, in Puerto Rico, she said the reason why she stopped coming to church is because she felt the judgment of the people in the church. And she said, I didn't think people would accept me with the decisions I've made with my life. And she left the church. And you know what? No one went after her. No one pursued her. She may have been, been right. We're going to walk through these nine principles, which I think we take from this church covenant, in terms of how we can live our lives with one another. Uh, the first is we want to promise to live in grace. Promise to live in grace. The beginning of the church covenant reads this way having, as we trust, been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus and to give up ourselves to him. And having been baptized upon a profession of faith in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on his gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other. The beginning promise reminds us that we were sinners separate from God, and God intervened in our world by sending the Lord Christ to die upon a cross, be dead and buried, and be raised from the dead so that we could have hope in new life. So that Jesus Christ's body could absorb the full wrath of God on the cross so you and I could be forgiven, blameless, above reproach in the eyes of God. That is wonderful and amazing news. If you are, if you are here and you are not a Christian or not a member of a local church, this is the basis of the Christian life. It is all about grace. 
God says that we are all sinners, that we have all stolen from him. We've all robbed him of his glory. And what God did, instead of bringing down his wrath upon us, he sent his son in love to take our sin upon the cross so that we could have hope for a new life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, if we live in light of that, we will live in love towards one another. You see how that works? Everything that we do in the life of a congregation begins and ends in grace. You are sitting here today because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God convicted you to come this morning. uh, Because God gave you Christian parents. uh, Because God raised you in this church. The reason why you're here is because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason why Francis, Lord willing, will be in church this Sunday in Puerto Rico is because two gringos, one with long hair, as Francis said, came and knocked on their door and told them about Jesus. God sent them in grace. We want to live in grace. The second thing we want to do if we are going to be a healthy congregation is we want to promise to pray and work for unity. Pray and work for unity. It says it right there. The first command. Well, before, before I go there, this is really important because today I'm going to be talking a lot about what we're called to do how we're called to live with each other. So don't miss that first point. We start in grace. And if we don't start in grace, what you're going to hear from me for the next 10 to 15 minutes is law. We're called to do all these things. No, my, 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 my beloved, we, are called, we, we get to do these things. Because Jesus Christ saved you from your sin and brought you into his kingdom to live in righteousness. We are no longer a slave to sin, but we are a a slave or a servant under righteousness. We get to live this way. And when you live God's way, your life is better. You have more peace. You have more joy. So so understand that. It's all in grace that we, we view these commands. We promise to pray and work for unity. It says we will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. If we are going to be one, as God is one, as Jesus prayed in the garden that, 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 that Jesus and the Father are one, that his church would be one. If we are going to be one, it's going to take work. A lot of work. When you have an issue with someone, you can't be embittered against that person. You go to them and seek reconciliation. If you have wronged someone, you go and confess your sin and seek repentance. And you have to pray that the Spirit of God does this. If we are going to be a healthy, unified church, it will be an act of God. Anytime people with all different preferences, all different ages, all different uh, racial and socioeconomic backgrounds come together and live in unity, that is a work of God. And are you praying? Are you praying that we would be unified? That we would be Together. Well, that's our our responsibility. Pray and work for unity. The third thing we see here is we we promise to walk in love by encouraging and admonishing. Walk in love by encouraging and admonishing. This is the, the, the most basic command of the Christian faith. Love one another. We love God first, we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. This is the most basic Christian command. Look at what it says in our church covenant. We will walk together, key word, in brotherly love, 
as becomes the members of a Christian church. Every time you read that, I pray that you would be reminded of ways that you are not loving people in this church with brotherly love and that you would repent. Exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other. That means you would love them to help them finish well to glory. Faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. This is the end of 1 Thessalonians 5. You help the weak. You encourage the faint-hearted. You rebuke the lazy. Everybody has a different, uh, is in a different place. Right now, in this congregation, I look out at you, and I know some of the things going on in your life, and I would say that there's, there's certain people who are going strong, and what you need to do is continue to encourage them, because they're heading that direction. There's others of you I, I look at who are discouraged, who are frustrated. Well, how do, how do you, you, you deal with that person differently? Now, if I'm looking at our congregation and I'm thinking about those things, do you do that when you come on Sunday morning? When you, if you were in my, my place up here and you were looking at this congregation, would you know how to, to treat one another? If someone needs to be encouraged or if someone needs to be rebuked? If you don't, it's because you don't know the people in the congregation. We have to, to live with each other. We have to know each other. Uh, the reason why we, we, we want to pray together on Wednesday, Wednesday evenings, one of the sweetest times in our congregation, is so that we can more, um, uh, we, could, we could better care for one another with our words, with the scriptures. We want to uh, in, walk together in love, encouraging and admonishing. The fourth thing, we want to promise to gather regularly. We're going through these fast, aren't you? You're, you're impressed, aren't you? It's okay. That's, I, got, I got in at 1 o'clock in the morning last night from Puerto Rico, so I think we're, I'm ready for food, too. Um, number four, promise to gather regularly. This is taken from Hebrews chapter 10. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. There's two things there. It's when we gather together, we will not forsake that. This gathering of the people of Park Baptist Church should be one of the most important things in your life. This gathering right now, when we come together and praise God corporately, when we uh, read God's Word corporately, when we hear God's Word corporately, this should be one of the most important times in your life as we gather together as a body. If you're here and you're not a member of, of, of of a congregation, you, you visit, you attend, praise God, we'd love to have you here. But I would challenge you that you should not just um, come some of the time, you should commit to a body. You should, you should promise to a, a group of people that I will not forsake meeting together with you. I will make that promise. Because how can you fulfill the one another's in the Bible if you are not connected to a Christian church? I think it's very hard to do. So I just encourage you, give yourself to a body. This command, as I spoke about last week, is being broken by Christians all over the world. I should say that again, all over the United States. Because Christians in Africa, in Korea, in China, they are willing to die to go to church. 
They are willing to die to go to church. And people call themselves Christians who are not willing to wake up and sit in an air-conditioned room. Oh, praise God for air-conditioned. Right? Sit in an air-conditioned room for an hour to hear God's Word. And they want to say that they're okay with Christ. That they love Christ. And they love His people. There are so many things that want to take you from the gathering. You know why? Because God says this is important. God says what we do right here, that the word church in the Greek, ecclesia, means assembling or gathering. The Bible says that Jesus Christ paid for this right here with his own blood. Jesus died so that we could gather. And there's so many people who don't want to do that. And listen, in this life, there will be times when we don't want to go to church. As a pastor, there are days where I don't want to go to church. Could be because I'm tired. Could be because I'm in, in sin. And I don't want to be convicted. It could be because I'm, I'm, I, I feel hurt by people at the church and I don't want to see them. But you know what? Every time I come, God moves. God works. And again, like I said last week, this is not those who, who want to be here and can't make it. Can I tell you how many times I, I sit with someone who would love with every fiber of their being to be with God's people, but they can't physically make it? And yet those who are able-bodied don't do it. The next one, number five, promise to raise and witness for the Lord. To raise and witness for the Lord. We will, next paragraph, we will endeavor to bring up such as may at any time be under our care, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and by a pure and loving example, seek the salvation of our family and friends. Beloved, we are one family here. We sing that every single Sunday, we are the family of God. How I raise my kids will affect the other children in this church. You must commit to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, because how you raise your children, how you influence your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren will affect the rest of the congregation. We don't, we don't even realize how important what happens on Monday morning, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, is the life of the church. It all comes together. And it's also, we need to be reminded that we are called to witness. That's the whole purpose of the Christian church. If you read through the book of Acts, one of the words that pops out again and again and again is witness. We are witnesses of the resurrection. We are witnesses of the resurrected life to the watching world. This next one. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. This is a promise to rejoice and weep with God's people. Rejoice and weep with God's people. Um, when Jerry Green announced to our church that he had cancer, um, I looked across the, the aisle and I saw some of our college students weeping. Jerry and Ellen have done a wonderful job loving our young people. They make them feel welcomed and encouraged. Um, and those tears that they had in their eyes were because they loved Jerry. They were, it was natural for them to weep because of the love that 
he had for them. When Seth and Brittany announced that they ha- are having another, another baby, right? He promised, Seth promised a redhead. We're not sure about that yet. You can't really tell that yet, Seth. So I'll make sure that you know that. Um, but when, he, when they had a baby, there was this, these smiles that filled the faces of our congregation. You know, uh, the joy in, in Miss Helen's face and, and Olin and Louise Hollis, right? That's the kind of community that we want. We want joy in our church. When We want to celebrate with one another. And we want to weep with one another. That is a biblical command. And you can't do that if you're not here building relationships and loving people. Since the tears that we have in the life of the church should be natural tears. The joy that we have among God's people should be natural, natural joy. Why? Because we love each other. And when you love people... You're happy when they're happy. And you're sad when they're sad. The next one we see here, a promise to deny ungodliness and live in holiness. It's a, a dual, dual um, denying and living in holiness. The church covenant reads, We will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lust. That's a very broad thing. Our current church covenant is a little bit more narrow. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to broaden it because I want every one of us to think about how we live in the world. Are we denying our worldly lust? Are we, are we, are we, are we trying to be careful how we live in this world? Or do we watch anything on TV? Any movie that, that, that comes on? Or is our entertainment the same as that of the world? Right? Are our habits any different from a, a non-Christian? Well, listen, we have to commit to, to live our life this way. Can you imagine every single, every single time we, we take the Lord's Supper, we hear this again, that we have to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. It's a reminder to us to purify our lives, that we wouldn't be lured away from our affections to Christ. We also remembering that as we've been voluntarily buried by baptism and rising again from the symbolic grave. So there's now on us a special obligation now to lead a new and holy life. One of the reasons why we are a Baptist church is that we believe that you must put your faith in Christ before you go in the waters. Why? Because we have been dunked, we have been connected with Christ's death and been raised to walk a new life. We are now under a special obligation because we represent Jesus Christ to the watching world. We represent Jesus Christ to every lost person that we meet. And some of those lost people come here every single week and they're called children. How you live among them is is a picture of the new life we have in Christ. Well, for the sake of time, let me move on. Next paragraph. We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry and the expenses of the church and the relief of the poor and the spread of the gospel through all nations. Uh, Number eight, we promise to give and serve the ministry of the church. We promise to give and serve the ministries of the church. So, it's, it's, sometimes it's difficult for a pastor to talk about money. Okay? 
But do you know that you should be giving to God's people? That you should be giving to the church? Every single person should be giving to the church. You give what you can. Period. You're under, you're under divine obligation to do that, according to God's word. I don't look at how much you give. I don't want to know how much you give. But I want to know that you do give. You know why? Because how you give is a, is a picture of your spiritual state. If you give little, you probably love little. So if you want to love God more, if you want your affections to be stirred, with your, to, to love Christ with all that you have, usually it starts in the pocketbook. If you are willing to forego your, your monetary resources, it probably means you're willing to live for Christ. Uh, this week, many of, many of the folks we were with got up at 6 o'clock in the morning, um, left at 6.45, worked at houses all day long, and the, um, the speaker said, if you're not willing to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning and swing a hammer for Jesus, you're probably not ready to die for it. Jesus says, pick up your cross daily and follow after me. If you're not willing to give money to God's people for the service and ministry of the church, you're probably not willing to die for Jesus, let alone live for it. That means you probably love this world a little bit too much. And we want to serve the church. Some of you have tremendous talents that you use to serve the church. Can I tell you how grateful I am for you? There are so many things that happen in the life of our church every single week to, to, to make God's name glorious. And you're not forgotten for your service. Continue to do that. Continue to give yourself for the call of Christ. And yet there's others of you who have talents and gifts and yet you don't use them. Can I encourage you to look at your life and how God has wired you and figure out how can I, can I do, what can I do for the church? How can I serve? Not if I can serve, but how. Lastly, we want to continue with Christ. We want to continue with Christ. It says we will when we move from this place, as soon as possible, unite with some other church when we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. When you come to Christ, you promise to stay with Christ. Christ promises to stay with you he says, he, he who began a good work in you will finish it until the day of Christ. Christ will hold you fast. Period. And yet you are called to continue with him. Whether you are in this place or if God calls you to another place, you are called to continue with Christ in fellowship of the church. That is the calling of all Christians. There are times when God will move us from one congregation to the next. God just does that. He may see that your, need, your gifts are better served at, an, at, at another congregation. Let me just be honest with you. In the next four or five years, I know that some of the people that I love the most are going to be called to serve other places. God's going to take their gifting and he's going to give it to another church 
happens. It's going to break my heart. But that's okay. It's okay. You know why? Because God is the one who moves the pieces around the board. God is the one who takes people and he disseminates them for the, for the good of his gospel and for the glory of his name. So if God wants to take someone from our church and, and pluck them and move them overseas to Uganda, praise God for his grace. If God wants to take some of our, of our young people and he wants to disseminate them to another congregation, praise God for the glory of his name. The, the ultimate goal is not the glory of Park Baptist Church. It is the glory of our God and King, the Lord Christ. So we take this covenant, right? And we promise to keep it. We promise to love one another as it is fitting for the name of Christ and for the glory of his name. And we just promise to do it until the end. Let's pray. God, I pray that we, as your people here at Park Baptist Church, would always know what it means to be a member of this church. That we would be so willing, God, to give of ourselves for the good of the people here and for the glory of your name. As our nation is falling around us, I pray that you would build your church at the gates of hell. would not prevail against them. We pray, God, that you would allow us to keep the spirit of this covenant for the glory and honor and majesty of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.